Hello, everyone. I'm an indigenous elder of the Eastern Cherokee and Muscogee tribes, and you're listening to the, the Awakened, Awakened Underground, Underground podcast. podcast. This podcast represents the opinions and experience of its hosts and guests for educational and informational purposes only. Psychedelic plant medicines are sacred technologies that have been stewarded by indigenous people around the world since before recorded history. As these indigenous wisdoms enter the mainstream culture, we ask you to please operate from a place of respect and reciprocity as to end the exploitation and colonization of First Nations people. It's imperative to use immense caution when embarking on your journey to work with psychedelic medicines, as they are powerful tools for human transformation that are not to be taken lightly. Information shared within this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Awakened Underground, its guests and partners are not liable for any actions of your choosing. With that said, we, we trust, trust you will make responsible and ethical choices under your own free will. What's up, gang? I'm your host, Cody Blue, and this episode's called Healing Stigma. This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on drugs. America's public enemy number one. To a new and dangerous area, the use of hallucinogens. Bad trip. The bummer, the freak out, even a flip out. Don't let drugs ruin your Both call it not a war on drugs, but a war on consciousness. You are now entering the Awakened Underground Podcast. Once I was able to heal myself with sacred plant medicines, all I wanted to do will share these tools with my loved ones. Not only were these powerful medicines for healing the suffering of humanity, but they were also the real-life red pill. The long-lost key to the doors of perception. The mythical compound spoken of all over the world throughout all of ancient history, known by many names. Soma, Heyoma, Mana, elixir of immortality, food of the gods, you name it. A literal tool for humanity to communicate directly with the spiritual forces on the other side of the veil. Medicines that single-handedly could cut through all the noise and heal humanity at the root of our unconsciousness before it is too late. When I first shared my experiences with my loved ones, Most of them trusted me enough to take me at my word and step into the fire themselves. But many others had reservations, my father being one of them. After a lifetime of drug war propaganda, it is difficult to believe when someone tells you that they essentially have discovered the forbidden fruit of knowledge and that it's been hiding right under our nose, criminalized by our government as an illegal drug. It is much easier to write that person off as being a drug-addled fool that drank too much of the Kool-Aid and lost their mind than it is to accept a deception of such epic proportions with so many life-altering implications. But the truth is the truth, known only by those open-minded individuals who are brave enough to work directly with these sacred plant medicines. But in the modern era, when an individual goes through their plant medicine initiation and returns to their ordinary world to share their journey with their loved ones, 
they are often met with skepticism, mockery, hostility, and judgment. This venomous stigma is actually one of the most dangerous aspects of doing this work. In 2006, John Hopkins University published a double-blind study on the psilocybin mushroom that went on to catalyze the modern renaissance into psychedelic research. In this study, they gave 30 volunteers who have never worked with psychedelics before a high dose of psilocybin. These participants would then lie down on a couch wearing eye shades, accompanied by two therapists, and listen to music through the duration of the session as to elicit an inward-facing experience. This study demonstrated that a high dose of psilocybin could be used safely and reliably to induce a mystical experience that typically was described by the participants as the disillusionment of their ego, followed by a sense of merging with the universe. This treatment was a resounding success. Even 14 months later, when the doctors did a checkup, the volunteers reported significant improvements to their personal well-being, life satisfaction, and positive behavioral changes that were even confirmed by their family and friends. But the most incredible part of the results reported were that the participants ranked their psilocybin experience as one of the most meaningful in their entire lives, comparable to the birth of a first child or the death of a parent. Two-thirds of the participants even rated the session among the top five most spiritually significant experiences of their lives, while the other third ranked it as the single most significant spiritual experience of their entire lives. Now, I bring this up to illustrate a point. Imagine having one of the most significant experiences of your entire life, an event so profound that it is on par with the birth of your firstborn child or the death of your parent. And immediately afterward, the first thing you go to do is call your family, your friends, your significant others to tell them how much you love them and what just happened to you. But when you do so and excitedly tell your loved ones the good news, their response is negative. They reply with, concern for your health, for your sanity, for your safety, or worse, they laugh at you, dismissing your experience altogether or maybe even becoming angry at you for being reckless, yelling at you for doing drugs. Unfortunately, this sort of response is the norm and can be incredibly traumatizing and is, in my opinion, one of the greatest dangers of working with psychedelic medicines. I know this may feel a little hyperbolic, but these experiences are that serious, that sacred, and that profound. Fortunately for me, I had physical evidence of my healing in the form of brain scans to show my parents to convince them of the efficacy of the psychedelic medicines I was working with. But several years prior, my older brother Jesse tried mushrooms and had a life-changing experience. The first thing he did was to call my straight-edge father to share with him the profound lesson he just received and my father freaked out on him. And right here is a first-hand account of my brother Jesse explaining what happened when he first tried mushrooms and tried to tell my parents. I consider myself an intellectual. 
My interest in magic mushrooms had literally everything to do with a quote from Steve Jobs about LSD. My father and I often spoke about Mr. Jobs. We were both big fans of his mind. I told my dad after reading the quote, Jobs said if not for an LSD trip in college, he would have never invented Apple computers. This intrigued me, even as a straight-edge teenager, and I swore to myself that one day I too would try it for mind-expanding purposes. And I had said this in front of my dad. I didn't think much about it for years because I didn't do any drugs of any kind. But after having my first successful marijuana experience at age 28 and seeing an incredible psychological benefit from it, I eventually remembered the quote and began looking deeply into LSD. While exploring the topic online, LSD and magic mushrooms were often presented together as relatively interchangeable. Reading deeper and deeper, I eventually decided on the mushrooms because they were naturally occurring and LSD was made in the laboratory. Eventually, I found a good time to do it where I didn't have anything going on and my kids were visiting their grandparents out of town, and I did them alone at my house one evening. To say that the experience was totally life-changing is an understatement. I cannot properly expand upon just how much they changed my mind about so many things in an instant. My brother Cody had only recently revealed to me that he felt I was generally kind of ungrateful, that I didn't appear to view my life as a blessing, but was hyper-focused upon everything that I felt had gone wrong. At the time, I told him he was mistaken. I was grateful for this and that and this other thing and generally rattled off a short but important list of things I felt grateful for. When the mushrooms kicked in, I had about three major realizations in a split second. One, Cody was right. I was ungrateful. The way I was looking at things was backwards. I'd allowed a small mountain of things that I could count to overtake the infinity of great things and the possibility for more great things in my heart and mind. I was hyper-focused on the less than, but in an instant, I saw that the more than was infinitely greater. Two, I saw that this perspective had affected my view of my parents most of all, and I retroactively appreciated them and everything they'd ever done for me. I was filled with love, and I realized immediately just how much I loved and appreciated them, and that I'd allowed a traumatized perspective to overtake my feelings about them both, until it was the only thing I could see. Three, this was a healing, mind-blowing experience that I wished everyone could have, and I was livid that our American leadership had deemed to make these substances illegal when I now knew from personal experience that they could literally help every person on the planet. I basically became a full-blown plant advocate in less than a second. If this could help me heal my relationship with my family, how many other people could be helped and how many people had not been helped because bureaucratic idiots were standing in the way? I was smart enough to know that what had just happened to me was perhaps the most profound experience I'd ever had and that it would likely be the same for anyone, which I would confirm a week later when I convinced one of my much older, lifelong, straight-edge best friends to do them too. And he essentially had the same experience that I had. I was going to share my new knowledge with everyone. And of course, first, my mom and dad, who I'd come to realize I had infinitely more love for 
than my comparatively tiny list of complaints. The next day, I went to call my parents. I'm pretty sure the first person I called was my mother. I decided, I feel fucking great, better than I've ever felt in my life. There's nothing to be ashamed of, I thought. We've got to erase this stigma, and I'm brave enough to start that process. I know what smart looks like, and this is literally the smartest thing I've ever done for myself. But I did not take enough time to explain to her what I had learned from the experience. And when I asked her if she would be willing to do mushrooms with me sometime, she laughed. This laugh really triggered me. I felt stupid. And I was disappointed that I called her first. I thought I should have called my intellectual father first. Surely he would understand, seeing as we had spoken about Steve Jobs' praise of LSD years earlier, and that that was my inspiration for trying them in the first place. Now, full disclosure, my mother has since claimed that she didn't mean to make me feel stupid. It was just very funny to her that her son would call her and from her perspective, ask her to do drugs with him. She was straight edge and really had no idea about any of these things at the time. And I was so excited, I didn't exactly spend a lot of time with my explanation of the thing. So it was sort of shocking, and she felt the need to laugh. Today, I understand this better. But at the time, I was very disappointed and felt very judged. So now I call my father. I think I gave my father a slightly better lead-in, playing off the Steve Jobs thing and our conversation from my teenage years. But the chat did not go the way I thought it would. My father was clearly triggered by me suggesting that he take a drug. I'd never been yelled at by him like that before. Obviously, he'd yelled at me plenty of times as my father, but this wasn't that. In my mind, I was calling both my parents to tell them just how much I loved them. I was calling to apologize to them for so many years of so many feelings I had and to explain to them how I'd been given the gift of a beautiful new perspective and how healing I believed it would be for our relationship, for us to trip together. I thought surely this purity I felt towards them would be sensed and they would see this great change in me and perhaps this could even go deeper and we could truly heal our relationship utilizing these powerful plant teachers. As excited as I was making that first phone call, I was equally devastated that the stigma imposed upon these plants by society had prevented the most important people in my life from practically seeing the massive positive effect working with the mushrooms had had on me. I felt judged, like someone who injects heroin or does any other illicit party drug. I felt like they now viewed me as less than I had been. Years later, my father would eventually apologize to me and I did get a number of opportunities to explain to them all the gratitude that I had received from the experience, how much love for them I truly had and that I was connected with it on that day thanks to a psychedelic mushroom experience. In closing, I'd wanted tattoos my entire life and never gotten any out of fear I might get something that I hated. Within a few weeks of that first trip, I found an artist I was comfortable with and I received my very first tattoo, a phoenix around my wrist. On the opposite side of the phoenix's body, I tattooed the words, thank you. So I would never forget that day and how grateful I had become in that moment. To this day, living gratefully is the most important thing I try to do in my life. And I thank psilocybin mushrooms for waking me up to this gratitude. But my parents' initial reaction 
to my use of plant medicine left a scar just as deep as that tattoo. And it's been a struggle to not view myself as some sort of enlightenment addict ever since. But I press on, knowing what I know and trying to communicate the truth better than I did that first time. The event you just heard deeply scarred my brother Jesse and made him feel even more misunderstood for many years. I'm telling you this story now as a cautionary tale. If your loved ones are not equipped to hold a container for you to process your experience, then one of the most profound events of your entire life can quickly become a thing that alienates you from those closest to you. As if you were introducing a loved one to your firstborn child and they immediately shame you for having sex. Or let's say you tell someone close to you about the death of a parent and they laugh in your face. The very essence of the show is not only to educate on mental health, but to heal the stigma around psychedelic medicines. As the cultural stigma around these compounds and the persecution of the people who have worked with them throughout history is significantly more dangerous than the medicines themselves. Now, seven years later, my entire family has now worked with sacred plant medicines and received a tremendous amount of healing because of them. That is everyone except my father, who is devoutly straight edge. But on today's episode, we're going to try to change that. Because if I can get my father to open up to working with psychedelic medicines, then maybe, maybe it will help inspire other parents of his generation to open their minds to these incredible healing modalities. stigma at its worst. The common people, they lump substances like LSD and mushrooms with um, actual bad drugs that'll probably ruin your life like heroin and meth. And when people truly understand that mental illnesses aren't choices, then it reduces stigma and reducing stigma will save lives. And we can't really blame people for this because they were raised in a schooling system that tells them all drugs are bad and to never do drugs. Uh, they're probably brought up in a religion that tells them not to do drugs. They're also most likely raised by their parents that tell them not to do drugs. This is stigma that discriminates. It's in the media, it's in the words we use, and it's in our attitudes. Nothing is going to be more powerful than people like you and me uh, having these experiences, integrating them, changing our lives for the better, and then contributing that change to psychedelics. And we all have to do our part to make it okay to talk about, to seek treatment, and to restore the peace and the health and the dignity and the hope for the millions of people who suffer. So people are looking for solutions outside the mainstream. <laughs> on the first episode of The Awakened Underground, we had a few members of my family on the show to discuss how psychedelic medicines have healed us and positively influenced our lives. 
My father explained how he has been straight edge all of his life, but has become an advocate for psychedelic medicines after seeing physical evidence of our family's healing, working with sacred plants. After the conversation on the first episode, my dad even agreed to sit down with one of his personal doctors who he respects very much and discuss the benefits of psychedelic medicines to see if they could potentially have a positive impact on his life too. On today's episode, we are sitting down with my father and his personal doctor, the incredible Dr. Abhinav Gotham, or as we know him, Dr. Abhi. Dr. Abhi is a brilliant young doctor who has revolutionized his field of medicine with the invention of his breakthrough treatment called Relief. With his cutting-edge technology, he travels around the world treating top athletes, artists, and industry leaders in their fields. Dr. G is also a musician, entrepreneur, inventor, and psychedelic medicine advocate. Dr. Abhi will be joining us to sit down with my father, D. Snyder. And for those of you who don't know my father, he is a multi-platinum recording artist, best known for being the lead singer and songwriter of the 80s rock band Twisted Sister. But in addition to that, he is also an iconic figure in the fight against censorship over the decades and an absolutely badass father. The Awakened Underground Podcast. Dad, do you want to start by talking about your shoulder issue and how uh, Dr. Abhi yeah, was able to yeah. help? Uh, and uh, so we have a mutual friend, acquaintance, Dr. Colinello, Dennis Colinello, and he's a, um, a chiropractic obstetrician, works on a lot of athletes, a lot. He's, he's in Beverly Hills, amazing, amazing doctor, and he helps out a lot of people. So I have to deal with chronic shoulder issues, and I was dealing with chronic shoulder pain. Uh, nerve pain, and he was helping me. And one day I came in for a treatment, and Dennis is a very pumped up dude. He's very pumped up. He goes, <laughs> I got this guy. He's going to put me out of business. And that was the first thing. He's going to put me out of business. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, he's right here. Hold on a second. And the next day I know Avi comes in. I get, I get to call him Avi because I know him well enough. And uh, and Waltz is in with his case, and he goes, how you doing? And I'm like, and without even like really asking me he just sort of said he's going to fix you and and he starts his treatment this unique treatment with his sonogram is that a sonogram yeah, right. use and 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 injections and he's and he's explaining and he'll explain it much better what he's doing and i'm just sort of like stunned i had i had chronic radiating pain coming out of my shoulders and and as before i could even say I'm not sure about doing this. You know, it was like someone stuck a joint in my mouth, you know. Uh, so um, he, he goes, okay, now move your arm. And it's gone. And explains that he was dissolving nerves that were connected to muscle tissue through the fascia. And he'll explain it much better. But it was, it was almost overwhelming to walk in, in it with chronic discomfort and radiating pain. And then, and just within, I was there for 15 minutes and feeling better. And, you know, and I'm, the joke was I can't throw the horns right, exactly. because it hurts. Exactly. It's not supposed to hurt. And he goes, well, go ahead, throw the horns. Yeah, that's I'm like, hey, that's, that's I can throw the horns. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And what exactly did you do to him? Because up until this point, he was, you were cutting back on your performances because you couldn't raise your arm. Even more so it, it, beyond the, the discomfort because it wasn't like, you know, debilitating pain. It was just... Pain, discomfort all the time. And it was just making me, it was making me feel older. You know, it was making me feel 
that my, you know, I didn't have any more, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Why am I, should, shouldn't hurt when you throw in the metal horns. That was the, the joke I would make, but it's just, it was, it was psychologically wearing on me. And, and that's, so part of what he does, besides actually removing the pain is, is mentally it frees you up because you kind of beat yourself up when you have chronic pain. So yeah, as D was saying, you know, he was suffering with basically something akin to chronic wear and tear. And I'll use an analogy of, let's say, an instrument like a you know a vintage guitar, right? After you you know after you played a Stratocaster for 30, 40 years, you got to get it tuned up by the luthier, right? I mean, you got to change the strings, you got to probably change out the pickups, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just the maintenance, right? Right. And what I feel uh, modern medicine has been. Um, lacking is this holistic approach of looking at the body and mind in a connected fashion. As you were saying, you know, the uh, physical problems that you were dealing with um, were sending these signals to your mind, you know. So chronic pain, uh, a way I, you know, a way I like to think about it is pain is like the fire alarm going off, let's say, in your condominium building. So as soon as the fire alarm goes off, it's so unpleasant that anybody in there wants to figure out why it's going off and or turn it off or leave immediately, right? So if we think about pain as that, that fire alarm, now just imagine what would happen if you couldn't leave and you had to hear that alarm for a month, a year, yeah. five years, etc. It would change you, you right. know, I mean, it would change your hearing, right? It would change, it would just change everything about you. Right. And, and the thing about pain is that it doesn't just affect the person. It affects everybody that they're, you know, that, that next ring of, of their network, you know, so their, their spouse, their children, the people that they work with, you know, they're close with because it's, it's affecting their reality and they're, they're resonating or vibrating in a different way. Right. Well, what did you do to him exactly? Yeah. I mean, chronic pain is something that millions upon millions of people people you know deal with, and yeah. I think you're right to talk about how this has implications for how people relate to others in the world and live in the world. And we start if we can treat this chronic pain condition, we're going to start seeing a much different you know society and culture as a result of it. So, what did you do to him to liberate his joint pain exactly? So um, what I kind of discovered about four years ago now was um, there's a layer of tissue in the body, um, and we, you know, for the sake of this, let's just call it the loose connective tissue, and we can use another word, fascia, right? So the fascia, there's a layer of tissue that's in between your skin and the muscle, right? This in-between in layer, right? So um, what we know is that I, I'm an MD, an anesthesiologist, so that school of medicine a medical doctorate, you know, is is only about 250 years old. And and it's based off of dissecting dead people, right? So um, our understanding of the human body is based off of dissecting deceased people, huh. understanding, you see, okay, this is what this looks like. Let me draw it, et cetera, et cetera. You start compiling uh, a knowledge library, right? And then you start to see that there's a schema that exists. You know, so Gray's Anatomy is the... You know the atlas, one of the one of the major tissue atlases and anatomy atlases. That's why the show was named that, right? But uh, basically, the layer that I started seeing was affected was this layer that when when a person passes, what's called rigor mortis, when when the body stiffens, that stiffening causes a dissolution or a destruction of this tissue layer, right? So why is that important? Because 
when 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 your father when D was dealing with this pain, right now people are looking at it like, well, it's either your joint is the problem, you know, or it's your muscle. If it's your nerve, then they only they only determine that if the other two are not, you know, if it's not obvious. Well, if if we do an MRI uh, on your pops and there's no obvious structural damage to his rotator cuff, you know, and there's no, you know, obvious horrible arthritis, then most people, you know, 80% of people like Pareto's principle don't have something so obviously wrong with them that the surgeon's like, okay, we got to fix this immediately. Right. You know what I mean? So for the vast majority of people, I started to feel that we were looking in the wrong place. And this was really born out of, you know, um, invention is usually born out of necessity, you know, and as human beings, we're all the same. You know, we're all singular. It doesn't matter about our race, our gender, et cetera. We functionally are all these divine beings. So if I could help myself and kind of further my understanding of myself and my own suffering, then I thought, you know, maybe there's a pattern here that exists that I can apply to other people's. Were you dealing with chronic pain? Yeah. You know, being an athlete, uh, my whole life. And, and I, it's what's interesting about what you said was whenever somebody has an injury, trauma, et cetera, the body itself has memory, right? The body whole, like, I mean, if you get hit by a car or you get shot or something, you know, whatever you, you fall off your skateboard, whatever, right? Your body has a memory associated with that event. It's like, it crystallizes that trauma in time. In, in Ayurveda, that's called ama. So this concept of toxins that accumulate in the body. And then how do those toxins get flushed out of the body, right? So in that fascia plane, that lymphatic system, right? You guys have heard of that. That's the, if we think about, uh, I, I like to think about things in terms of analogies, right? So the lymphatic system is the uh, akin to the Manhattan Waste Management Agency, <laughs> right? So what happens to Manhattan if the garbage starts, you know, stops getting taken out? In three or four days, the city will shut down completely. I always say garbage vendors have the most important job in New York. Yeah. yeah. I'm Pe- gonna, pestilence, disease. Yeah. I just like life stops when the garbage stops. Yeah. Okay. So we can literally, what your dad said was, you know, he's a poet, right? That's a beautiful way of thinking about if the garbage stops getting cleared out of my body, my New York City, life is going to stop at some point. What, so, what stops us from being able to clear out so, the yeah, so, toxins? So, so your dad, right, been on tour. So another analogy, it's like it's like a, a car, right? You've been racing a car. Every concert, let's say, was a car race. You know, the difference between the car, a Formula One car, and your dad was he, there wasn't the amount of maintenance that's being done in between those races. Right. So cumulatively over time, maybe something, you know, there wasn't an overt trauma that happened, but it's just over time. You know, if you're racing your car, you're going to have to at some point balance and rotate the tires, you know, like – just tune things up. Right. So what he was dealing with specifically were nerves that had gotten stuck in tissue, right? Just repetitively using your arms, hands, you know, carrying music, you know, like 95% of musicians have some kind of chronic nerve pain, right? If you think if you're playing violin or playing guitar, right? Especially the vintage equipment is super heavy, right? I mean, rocking out with a guitar or bass that's 30 pounds, you know, that's just coming, you know, over over this. Yeah, they call it Les Paul shoulder. That's exactly right. Very famous. Les that's Paul, right. after 30 years, 40 years of carrying that's one. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So so what I did was, um, and, and this goes, you know, for, for all the listeners or people suffering with pain and confused about what's happening, what we try to do with my practice is we try to reconcile what somebody's suffering with 
with what we see on the ultrasound image, right? So the ultrasound allows us to look very accurately at shallow depths. So it's not the thing you, it's not the 30,000 foot view, you know, that's the MRI, you know, so let me see how things are globally structured. This is, let me see like what's going on right underneath the paint, like with the body, right? Right. So in his case, there were areas where, you know, he had a lot of nicks, things were stuck together, right? And the, the nerves are traveling within this specific plane or channel, right? And when things get banged up, you get into a fender bender, just imagine if you had electrical wiring underneath your front fender and you get into a fender bender, there's a probability that that wire may get kinked. Right. So that's what that's what he was dealing with specifically. I also want to caveat that we haven't healed him completely, you know, um, or can we, he still has some limited range of motion issues. So this isn't a magical thing where people just come in and no matter what they're dealing with, one session, they get better. That's obviously the hope. You know, but sometimes, oftentimes, you know, it's like peeling the onion back, you know, especially right. the longer something's been lasting, because again, the body compensates. So if you, if you have less pulse shoulder, right, your, your shoulders are going to be off. So just like a car, right? If the tires are, are not balanced properly, you know, you're going to have uneven wear on both of them, you know? So, so we start peeling back the onion and seeing, okay, well, we took care of the nerves. That was the issue that was just really giving them, you know, just nonstop debilitating suffering, like that burning electricity, you know, that's just, and honestly, you know, it's just fatiguing. You know what I mean? It, what was really cool is, again, it was, this was happening so fast, I didn't have a chance to even, <laughs> I object, no. Uh, <laughs> hey, I think you should have shirts off. And he does, I thought they took it off, and they sort of pulled the shoulder. But I, because he had the ultrasound, he was showing me the spots as he found them. Yeah injecting them with, I'm not sure what he uses, but, and you saw them releasing from the nerve, from the fascia, mm -hmm. freeing itself. It was just like, peel away like that. And, and, and immediately after was relief. And as you said, you know, yeah, I've got some range of motions issues, which are not pain driven. They're just, I just they're another problem he's going to work on. Yeah. So not everything, not everything is miraculous as that, yeah. but that was just pretty miraculous. <laughs> hey gang. We'll be back with more after this quick break. And now back to our regular scheduled deprogramming. Well, my question is, because one of the things, right, we focus on, you know, psychedelic plant medicines and the implications that has on health and wellness. And one of the things is, is we see people healing themselves on a psycho-spiritual level of physical ailments stress fractures, muscle contusions. Yeah. And my question is, is there's a physical injury, right? Mm -hmm. Is there sort of an opposite and equal reaction that could possibly be happening to him on a psycho-spiritual level that from that injury? Or is there, is it possible for a, a, a trauma or to, to help create that injury in the first place? Look, I think reality and the body, it's, it's quantum. So the answer probably isn't what you're looking for. It's its probably all of those, any and all, or a combination of the, those things. I think what I've seen, and look, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm here is that it's not that uh, I only believe that treating things can be done in the way I do it, right? And and to answer or to give you some clarity, uh, D, what we use is not stem cells, but we use uh 
a mixture of proteins derived from the placenta. And, you know, this is all done in, you know, FDA approved sterile fashion. So essentially we get sacred geometry, right? That we then mix with water and some other molecules. And what do we know about the body? We're mostly water with molecules and electricity. And when you have that combination, amazing things can happen. What do you mean you mix sacred geometry? So, okay, so sacred geometry, what is sac- what I mean by that is we're not giving people cells. We're giving people proteins. So what is a protein? It's just sacred geometry, right? It's molecules organized in a specific way that can interact with our biology in a specific way, like a lock and key, right? You know, like it's psilocybin, for example, example you know, um, or ketamine. Ketamine acts on the uh, NAD, uh, the NMDA receptor, right? Which is like this very interesting pathway that you can unwind. It's like a lock, like, you know, you insert the, the key into the NMDA, you know, uh, lock, right? Turn it and, and it can actually activate many different pathways. Cannabis is the same thing, right? So we all come from something that we don't understand yet, right? But we're all made of the same stuff, you know, um, whether it's inanimate objects, plants, animals, et cetera, right? We're all composed of the same building blocks, right? So um, how we interact with these building blocks and leverage them to alter our biology is what I think now we need to be looking at. And we need to be inspired from nature, right? So I think the approach we all believe in, at least to some degree, is that nature is a better source than um, man, in terms of creating something, right? You've got millions of years of R&D with nature, specifically with the, the, the placental stuff, right? We're leveraging, every woman has this incredible power inside of them to c- cultivate life. I mean, we're, you know, every human on earth is proof of that. Right. right? So if what we're doing with, with my therapy is we're trying to trick the body by creating a local tissue environment that mimics the womb rather than, you know, the biology that you typically see outside of the womb, which is why we're able to uh, try to, you know, we're able to create situations where we kickstart the body's own regenerative ability. Right, right. Right. Are you able to, so, all right, you treated his pain, but there's still some mobility issues. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we've gotten together a couple of times. We had dinner, the three of us. And, you know, this is kind of the genesis of this conversation is when he talked about still having a little bit of mobility issues, you started to say, well, that is actually a way something like psilocybin or a sacred plant medicine could help shift your psyche and around the wound to create more of a space for that mobility to come back. Is that true? So look, um, what do we know about psilocybin, right? We know that it's the most powerful um, substance on in, in the natural world that promotes specifically nerve cells creating new nerve connections, you know. But kind of deeper than that, a it promotes plasticity, right, and transformation. Because what does the mushroom represent? It represents that middle layer that transforms death back into life, right? So, for your father specifically, um. Look, he's a super positive, optimistic person by by nature. So if you already are like that, then you may not, and I'm not saying he wouldn't, but it may not, he may not get the same bang for his buck with the silo, right? As somebody who due to injury, let's say they had like let's say he had fucking given up, right? 
he quit music. He's like, I'm done. Like, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't, you know, like, I can't live like this. My arms are just hurting nonstop, you know? Like, I feel like when, when those kinds of negative loops start to get created where the mind and body start to get real negative in, in concert, that's one of the situations where psilocybin and other plant medicines are extremely powerful, right. you know, in, in basically kickstarting that mental rewiring, you know, like I used it, um, to fight off, you know, uh, or kind of remodel, let's call it professional depression. You know, I'm a really creative person, started and sold several companies. Um, but the, you know, those journeys have ups and downs. Well, that's the thing. So growing up PMA dad, right? PMA, positive, positive mental, mental attitude, attitude, baby, positive mental attitude. And he would say PMA all growing up. And yeah. when he would say to us, when we were going through things like I'm a, I'm a byproduct of him. Sure. And even though he's a secular straight edge man, like everything from, you know, quantum physics to positive mental attitude. These are all things he, he would teach teach us. And as kids, he would show us literal studies. He'd be like, look, this is, they did a study on all these people who were depressed. They made them walk around smiling and they couldn't stay depressed, right? So he would teach us this. So yes, he's a positive person, but at the same time, like you just said, yeah. this sort of like professional depression, as you called it, yeah. like people see artists and celebrities and they think, oh, they're so happy they have everything. Like at the same time, like he's a professional artist. I watch that literally push and push and push and push to finally get get something released through all these threshold guardians from like the corporate sector to whoa, just all these thresholds finally get something released. And then he has to deal with whether it's backlash or how it's interpreted or how it's appreciated or if his fans show up for him or if they don't, like it's a constant, we it's a tra traumatic wheel. And I always say to him, like, it's so amazing to watch him steal himself the way he does so he cannot be affected. I mean, this is a man that literally would walk off stage in the 80s and get arrested for using profanity publicly. Like people yeah. people throw things at him. People uh, people attack him for yeah. the way he looks, for the way he dresses, for the for the for speaking his mind. Like like and and as much as he is a beacon of stability and strength and positivity, at the same time I'm like how does that affect one psyche? Because when you're an artist, the whole thing is to be so open to enter that childlike state of creativity so you can produce. But at the same time, it's like, and that's, I wonder like, how is that affecting him? Well, look, I, I think that, and D, correct me if I'm wrong, but one, um, other, you know, very successful musicians that I've spoken to say that almost the same thing, right? We love making music, but we hate the music business. Right, right. And so, like, I, I don't want to, like— I mean, Dad— I don't want to go too into that part of it. All I can say is that I think that, like, like a physician in the same way, right, to deal with being a doctor, you have to shut some of this emotional stuff down, right? If I were to get emotionally involved with every single patient, right, I mean, I would be drained. In actuality, you know, my kind of how I got back into music was— the, the first year of after, you know, kind of inventing the stuff it was so emotionally draining because I wasn't getting necessarily the results that I wanted every time, right? And people have such crazy expectations of you. So, you know, the inspiration starts to, it starts to be a little harder to find it when you don't have that gratification of you put your energy into creating something. And while it makes you feel so amazing, like that's why I make music, the ability that it has that same potential to impact somebody else is, is remarkable, you know? So if you're in a situation where you're creating, but then you're having all of this kind of like negative energy associated with it, then that may have been an adaptation just to, you know, thrive, thrive and survive. I'm not saying that he wouldn't benefit from, 
you know, a different perspective of inspiration, you know, but that's, I think, I think the thing is that uh, we know now that these medicines, these substances are extremely safe, you know, particularly if you do them in a responsible way. Right, right. Are you, right. Are you suggesting that, um, that some of my physical ailments could be a result of years of, just like I said, of, as opposed to uh, uh, physical use, mental abuse, and it affects it affects my my body. I I don't know. Like you're my father. No, I love that's, you. That's, that's what you're asking. I, yeah, like I'm this is. I'm, I'm curious. This you know? is like you know. It's like the body keeps the score, and you know, especially the body. In my experience, and obviously, I'm not the doctor. I practice shamanism and healing work. It 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 will. Your spirit will do whatever it takes to get you to pay attention what is nagging at the core what's unhealthy so if you're a physical person it will take away something if you if it's uh if if your throat having an infection of the throat it it could be it's to get you to go inward i don't know i just was curious if trauma does store in the body 100% it does it does uh, 100% i okay. mean when i've done work on myself other patients you know uh an example uh, like if you you know, sometimes if you have a surgical wound, you know, when they, when they close up that incision, you can get like the, that, that incision over time can get like stuck, right? Like socked in, just all that tissue gets adhesed to, to itself. So, I mean, I've had several patients that have these really big surgeries, problems that were, um, stemming from, uh, you know, abnormalities in, in the tissue integrity due to that, that incision, right, and, and the reapproximation of it. So when I went in, I mean, they were literally like letting out. I mean, they were reliving that that trauma going through the first time. You know, I've I've had countless experiences when I'm working on myself, um, and you know, when when my partner, Doctor Amy Kamat, has done some procedures on me where I relive the trauma, right, the injury. Right. So a hundred percent, it does. Like I don't know, you know, I, I don't know um, your father's you know, like all of the extent of his injuries, I can just say that, you know, I'm particularly a fan of psilocybin because what I see it potentially is if you look at the, the structure of the mycelium network, it mirrors the, the structure of neurons, you know, the, the, like the neural tissue, like one-to-one -one basically, the same way neurons are connected, the mycelium divide, right? There's, you know, as an organism or, or its own, I think its own phylum, right? Like it's, it's half plant, half animal. It's a very mysterious right. thing, you know, and without them, just like without the, the New York city waste management, you know, the earth would be overrun by garbage. Right. I'm just curious, like, cause here's the thing, dad, like you're like you, he's, he's a fucking rock and roll. So everything's like middle fingers in the air, like, you know, and it's just like, I don't fucking care. And it's, there's them and then there's us mm -hmm. and let's fucking go. Like who wants to throw down? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it, it boxes, though keeps those people at bay, but it also keeps things in. So that's my curiosity is just, is yes, you were able to treat the shoulder, but if, is there a way where the something like psilocybin or psychedelic can treat potentially the the root of the issue to create sort of like kind of coming at it from two different ways? So look, I can't speak for your dad, but I can speak for, I can share my, some, some personal experiences. So um, uh, I had, um, without going into it in too much detail, right? A lot of childhood trauma, like physical, mental stuff, right? That I was really unaware of because um, it happened really young. And I s 
only discovered what it was through like a very intense, um, you know, kind of mushroom healing journey that uh, Melissa, um, who, who we all know, kind of uh, took me on. And, you know, it was kind of by happenstance. I had been do, kind of doing this like stretch on the floor and I felt this like pop in my in my head up here. I didn't know what it was, but it was something crazy. You know, I got up, went to the bathroom and then I just had this flood of just like negative dark energy that had been in me since, I don't even know, two years old, right. three years old, right? And, and looking back on it now, this happened right before we left LA last time. So let's call it September or something. Last September. So how did it flood? Mate, it was overwhelming. Like no, what was what it was it was just off it was it was literally like emotional emo- Yeah, everything. Oh, I oh. mean and and I'm like you, right? I was raised by, you know, one of the smartest guys on earth, um, in a very stoic household, right? I'm sure you're the same way. You keep the shit inside of you. Yeah. And that's that's that is well serving, you know, for a lot of things, but what you end up finding is that, you know, while you harden yourself against, you know, the outside world, like me against the world, it does, as you say, also box things in, right? So it, it's almost like you're creating this mold and you become less of a fluid individual, right. right? And then stuff gets stuck. So for me, like I had a really short temper, you know, like, and, and it was, and cause I'm a creative person, you know, like I could be in different moods. I'm like really volatile, you know, sometimes there's no more fun person to be with than, than me, right? The other times you're like, dude, I need to get the fuck away from this guy. You know, like he's, this is just too much. So I've seen that since that event happened and there was a lot of reintegration, you know, and like just a lot of introspecting, you know, that I did sober actually, you know, um, for several months, you know, just to like make sure I didn't get lost in the sauce. Right. So, which is by the way, something super important. Yeah. You got to be here, like only take as much as you can integrate. These things are not like, yeah, you can't like, this is, this is powerful stuff, right? So you got to respect it as, as we had talked about the first time. So I took it, let's say on a Friday, had this crazy event happen, let, let the turbulence settle Saturday. And then I went back into the darkness on Sunday. Nice. You know, cause I was like, man, I, I like, what is this? Fuck I, I yeah, need to like see what, what's going Only on. Only way out is through. Only way out is through. And that second time I got some more clarity that, you know, it was my grandparents that were actually the source of this, like not my parents. Right. So, um, and, and that has been really instrumental, man, in, um, me, uh, rehabilitating my relationship at a, at a deeper level with with my family, um, and also, honestly, I feel just much more calm about everything, and 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 centered, and and I feel that everything that I'm doing is benefiting from this. Right. I have this a quite, is fairly recent, though. Last yeah, a couple months. Wow. <laughs> hey, gang! Pardon the interruption. We'll be back after a quick break from our sponsors. Sorry for the interruption. More awakened underground now. And I, I have a question for you because, I mean, everything you're saying from personal experience to people around me, I've seen have very similar experiences. And you're talking about your grandparents, right? Yeah. So an example I'll give is with my fiance Tanya, amazing medicine woman now. And I, I took her to work with ayahuasca. She was hit by a truck as a kid, right? So uh, so by like a Mack truck. Like uh, her all her back is all fucked up and out of balance. Uh, uh debilitating chronic pain all the time. Take her to do medicine and 
she literally going back to childhood memories where she there was a lot of shame in her household mm-hmm. around going to the bathroom about and it was a very secretive thing mm-hmm. and had to have the experience of meeting her child self hiding under a table having to go to the bathroom with too much shame to go to the bathroom she had to talk her childhood self bring her to the bathroom to take a take a shit and as soon as she got her childhood self like kind of coaching her it's okay it's okay to go to the bathroom she snaps out of the vision starts purging violently has not had pain in years since so i mean this is an example of and what i'm kind of you know, that's childhood trauma, but you went to grandparents and a lot of healing that happens on me, I will see it, I will get visions in psychedelic medicines of it happening to my parents, to my Mm. grandparents, as this sort of ancestral trauma. And I mean, which we, you know, I don't, really have the answers, but it makes me think that sort of trauma is genetically passed on. And through the epigenetic model, we can sort of morph that trauma that's kind of kind of built into those genes. I mean, I don't know if this well, is... So look, um, the epigenetics you're talking about, 100%. What is epigenetics? So epigenetics is, is, is basically the concept of your genes are um, adapting in real time. Got it. What I was referring to with my grandparents was more the source of 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 why it happened was from them, not my parents. So it wasn't like I wasn't reliving something they went through. It was figuring out that it wasn't my parents that that were the root of what whatever I was obsessed right. uh, upset about. It was uh, it was them, and you know, uh, it wasn't uh, what they were doing. I'll just go into it because right, people will probably. It's. Go, I mean, I think yeah, this cool. vulnerability. So, opens so basically, people right, up to this. Um, this happens in uh, Asian countries. Uh, in Germany a lot also, uh, where left-handed people aren't allowed to be left-handed. Oh, yeah. So, so they force you to be right-handed, right? Yeah, when I was in the sick. My, I think my sister was left-handed, and they yeah. they forced her to, to be right-handed because yeah. it was a disadvantage. Yeah. There was no left-handed right. scissors, left-handed anything. Left-handed school, uh, Let, left-handed desk at a school. Yeah, so yeah. it was just they felt it would be... It, it would be a handicap for them right. to be left-handed. Wow. So what happens there, right, is that if you're naturally going for something with your left hand, right, it's like that energy is like, I'm, I'm going to pick up the pencil here or, or whatever, right? And somebody is physically preventing you from doing that or whatever the case may be, basically trying to like override your natural uh, intuition and that natural um, uh, circuit of, I want to pick up the guitar pick with my left hand, right? But that's not good. Abby, you're bad. Like, pick it up with the right hand, you know? So what it, I feel, right, and this is, I can only speak for myself, it hardwired this, like, kind of, like, self-doubt mixed with I became, like, two different people, and I was, like, fighting against myself, like, for a lot of my life. This is really interesting, though, though, talking about uh, creativity and yeah. having shame and doubt and being programmed away from your creativity. Because right. the interesting thing is, is when you, people have a mystical experience and you're interfacing with this source consciousness, it is flowing. It is always moving. It is turning into from geometrical shapes to portals to faces, all these things. And it is creative consciousness. All spiritual blockages are creative blockages. Our natural predisposition is as creative beings. So 
every single shame and doubt and fear around being creative, being that creative channel, being like God or whatever the fuck yeah. you want to call it. inner child, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. And it's crazy, you know, it's for you to talk about this. I don't like to say the words crazy. It's, it's amazing for mm. you to talk about that personal wound that culture or society yeah. or, or imposed upon you. I mean, dad, this is very, it resonates with me because this is something that happened to you as far as you not being supported as a child, being a creative being. This was yeah, defined. You know, and obviously talking about his, um, about his grandparents, they weren't evil. No, not at all. They were trying to help him. Absolutely. Yes. And my, my parents trying to stop me from, uh, being a musician. They were trying to protect me from disappointment and heartbreak. They grew up during the depression and they just didn't said, they said dreams don't come true. They said it to me, dreams don't come true. The only way you get anywhere is blood, sweat, and tears and hard work. And they were right about those things, except dreams can come true if you use that blood, sweat, and tears towards your dreams. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but they weren't, I realized I, I was, you know, we're not going to take it. It was dedicated to my dad. Uh, but, but at the same time, I realized now he was trying to protect me. Mm -hmm. Right. They were trying to protect Abby, but damaging yeah. him at the same time in yeah. that, in, in, while doing it. This yeah. is, I mean, this goes into a bit more into the woo side of things, but it's, it's fascinating because we're talking about all trauma and disease uh, is connected to repression. And w to be able to, first off, incredibly enlightened, like, vantage point you have to say they were just trying to protect us. I mean, but we see what happens when you try to protect someone and stop them from experiencing it themselves. They end up rebelling even more, right? And then they have this wound that they or carry they with them. stifled and, right. and, and, and aim, turn it inward. I, I think that it's a lot easier for us to, to, to sit here like Monday quarterbacking what they did wrong. But like on the flip side of it is, right, you know, you create this being, you know, like I don't have any children yet, right? But when you love something that much, right, you will also do anything that you can to protect them, right? And, and, if you are an adult wanting to protect this little being that is, uh, you know, can't fend for itself. Look, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I've had this talk with my parents. Like, I'm not mad at you guys for anything. I mean, I was the first kid. I mean, you know, you didn't necessarily. So know, is he? First, you don't necessarily know first, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they literally it, said that to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was no books. I said, well, actually, it was <laughs> Doctor Spock. It's a very famous book. Exactly. There was no books. You know? <laughs> exactly. So you know, it's. I, I think you know maybe the thing we have to think about is instead of kind of framing the conversation of well they stifled you this that or the other it's look I mean nobody goes through childhood and life without any negativity and if you do you probably overdose when you're pretty young right you know because you got to have suffering and you got to understand the flip side of when things are amazing you know like in that Quincy Jones documentary he's another huge inspiration for me he talks about. I, I can't remember if it was Duke Ellington or whomever, you know, talking to him about, you know, you got to learn how to deal with the the valleys, right? Because the peaks take care of themselves. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? So it's like the valley when the good when times are good when when the team is winning, there's no there's no fucking problems, right? Right. But it's when you have a five game losing streak, and now it's like, oh, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Rather than taking a step back and saying, okay, how can I uh, augment the flow inside of me to try to clear this thing out. And this is where I think plant medicine is extremely powerful, you know, and I don't want to even just say plant medicine because ketamine as an anesthesiologist is one of the most incredible medicines. Right. MDMA is, can be, yeah, it's I mean, all how you use it. It's all about how you use it, right? I mean, you know, ketamine is 
profoundly powerful for PTSD, you know, and, and, and kind of unwinding incorrect tangles of circuitry. You know, MDA or MDMA is incredible for augmenting the serotonin, right? And allowing, let's say, two people who have friction or two people who are closed off to become more vulnerable and open and, let's say, emotional, you know, because like that's serotonin, like that's the happy, right. that's the happy hormone neurotransmitter, right? So psilocybin, I feel, is um, the least understood, probably the most powerful because just of how ancient the mushroom is, how universal its language is. You know, I mean, they don't, it doesn't just work on animals. I mean, you guys have all seen the fantastic fungi documentary and all Amazing. these things where they talk about how it's the, 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 you know, the trees are talking to one another and communicating and interacting and they have the symbiotic relationship with the mycelia, with the mushrooms, right? So there's, there's deeper things, you know, at work in nature. And I think the awakening that needs to occur and hopefully, you know, why people are listening to this podcast is they're searching for answers that they haven't found in these traditional avenues of, oh, you know, you know, you're feeling, um, you're feeling down and upset. Why don't you go get on some Zoloft, you know, <laughs> right? How does it work? We don't really know, but you know, it's messing with your mind in a way that we haven't tested it anywhere long enough to really know, you know, the ramifications, you know, I believe, you know, um, versus looking at something that has existed and is older than human beings itself. And is there a way of leveraging that these tools that nature has already provided for us? Right. And I, I have a chicken or the egg question sure. for you. <laughs> I know you're an advocate of plant medicines. Yeah. And uh, and I hope I don't, they can always edit it out if you know yeah. what I'm talking about. No, this. it's good. But we've spoken I'm... about uh, how microdosing. Yeah. Um, you had this amazing breakthrough musically. Yes. Uh, teaching yourself multiple yes. instruments in a very short amount of yeah. time. Um, and you discover this incredible technology, for lack of a better word, for healing pain and mm -hmm. healing people. Which came first? The, did, you, did, the, did the plant medicine exper experimenting with or using plant medicine lead you to these discoveries, uh, um, scientific discoveries? That's a great question. Yeah, so um, I definitely can say without a doubt, without it, it wouldn't have come as far as fast. Um, well, so many great discover people have created amazing technologies yeah. speak to psychedelics and yeah, speak I mean, to mushrooms and speak to yeah. look at the technology of the computer you boot up a yeah. lot of drug references yeah. in in computer technology because going way back these guys who were thinking these things were getting high and opening yeah. their minds yeah. so, so there's nothing wrong with it no, no, no. Right. so so in general my creativity flourishes when i really kind of get in that flow state you know, um, like what we were talking about earlier, whether it's music or when I'm healing somebody, like I, I'm a self-taught musician, you know, and, and the Indian school of music, like, I don't know how to write music or read it, but if I hear it, like I can play it, you know? And when I'm making something, I'm just like, it's just flowing through. I'm a, I'm a conduit. I'm a channel. 100%. Right? Uh, and, and I'm just trying to express what I'm feeling and what's flowing through me. And then, you know, artistically, right? As a physician, I'm trying to empathically feel what somebody is dealing with and then try to reconcile that with what the science is showing. So right. what your dad was suffering with, this horrible pain, nerve stuff, he had tried all these things. So then what does the science or the, you know, what does the diagnostic thing show? Then we reconcile that suffering with the sonogram and we saw a pattern that matched up. 
So we felt both felt comfortable right. in a short amount of time. <laughs> we should we should give it a whirl. I feel like it's interesting. It's, I mean, it's a super interesting question because essentially these androgynous states of consciousness exist without these modalities. Something mm-hmm. like dimethyltryptamine, it's being produced already in our body, right? It's, it's, we make it when we dream, when we die, and when we're born, right? So you're artificially you know, simulating or stimulating these glands so you can put yourself in these flow states. To say something came from yourself, you know, came through a dream or it came when I, you know, pushed these buttons. I mean, you're stimulating a flow state. You can, when you start creating, you get into a channeled state where you're, you're, you're creating faster than your thoughts. You know, you're sort of ahead of it as opposed to being under these sort of cultural programming that stifles creativity and genius, you know? So, I mean, like, it's not like we're taking outside chemicals. We're just stimulating these new chemicals. Mm -hmm. I'm digressing a little bit. I mean, there's something I kind of, I want to circle back to because this is really interesting to me to have, Avi, to have you talk about sort of like the way you were raised, to hear you talk about the way you were raised, like, very rare opportunity to have such a vulnerable, honest conversation. You transmuted what maybe some, you know, uh, traumas that were as a kid into art. And then you did everything you could to give us a positive, amazing upbringing. You were the best father and you were so conscious at actually trying to simulate uh, conflict and uh, to make sure we weren't, let's say, too soft or too entitled or too spoiled. Do you know what I'm saying? You would <laughs> yeah. simulate it. That's so it'd amazing. Be like, You're really lucky. You know, he, he's amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, I would watch, you know, you also completely cultivated our creativity. You have four children that have gone into the arts, and now you are watching as all of us struggle with the same things, the industry and the the the, the letdowns and, you know, the you know fin- financial insecurity, you know, of being freelance artists. I mean, what do you take away from that as someone who who had a father who was a depression era baby who sort of passed his trauma onto you a bit and then you you broke out of that cycle became an artist and then had kids of your own and tried to do it differently is there anything like you've learned from or or have taken away from having kids of your own and trying to do it differently? Well, you talk about you know childhood trauma. My father, who was, you know, a police, uh, a cop and a vet and, you know, just a hard ass. Uh, but he told me a story that when he was a child, he drew a picture. And he was young. He was elementary school. And he goes, Daddy, look what I drew. And, and he, goes, he goes, you call that art? That's not art. And he breaks out a, a, a book with paintings in it and shows him like a Rembrandt. And goes, that's art. Wow. And completely, my father told me just that was, he never drew again. Like, it was like this, you talk about, uh, you know, and that sort of created the man he was. You know, uh, I just got, unlike most, a lot of people tend to, I don't know if a lot is fair, but they seem to pass on, like, this was done to me, so I'm doing it to you. Yeah. The initiation, frat initiation mentality, I got my ass kicked, I got hazed, so I'm going to kick your ass, I'm going to haze you. And it's the few who say, I'm not swinging that paddle, and I'm yeah. not hazing you, because I hated it. And I, for some reason, while I pushed back against this oppression I was getting, feeling I was getting from everybody. Because not being a popular kid or whatever, you just have this feeling like you're being left out of things. And you, very easily, I found at 16, I realized I'm kind of fading in the background. And I, I was just talking about this the other day. And I just said, whoa, I'm not, no, I'm not fading. And I remember I started wearing a derby 
in this is the 70s and I got my ass kicked for it but <laughs> but uh, but you know but uh but I just like like who was that weird guy with the derby on was he wearing a derby but um you know so I pushed back against it at the same time when my even with working with helping other bands or whatever where twisted never got any help from anybody with 10 years it took us to break through I I had I do not have the mentality it was done to me I will do it to you is like it was done to me. I hated it. I'm going to do it different. So this is so interesting, though, for you to bring this up. You know, if you've ever seen two people in an argument with each other, like no one's kind of listening. They're both like yelling, right? So you can say, I will break the, the wheel. I will break the wheel that's broken. I will break the cycle. I will end the cycle of trauma. And I'm not going to put it onto somebody else. I'm going to channel it into art, right? A lot of people don't have the ability to transmute it into a healthy And hopefully outcome. through the art help them through their trauma. Right. You know, I had a very rebellious thing going, but my lyrics, there was no sex, drugs, rock and roll. It was very much a message to, if you're out there and if you're, you know, and if you're going through what I went through, you can stand up, you can push back, you can fight back. That's so healing and the homeopathic principle of like heals like. And when someone gets to listen to that energy of something, you're meeting them at their frequency and allowing them to have an emotionally cathartic experience. One of the things with this type of work, call it the healing path or the plant medicine path or whatever whatever you want, it's, it's a conscious way of of moving through that trauma to transmute it instead of passing it on to someone. I mean, one of the most fascinating things about this work, like Avi, is that people that do this work end up playing instruments and singing and dancing who could not dance, who could not sing, who could not play an instrument. It unlocks a creativity in them, which is the most conscious mechanism for transmuting suffering. I mean, it's 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 interesting to hear, to kind of have this all come down to trauma around creativity but honestly, like the, it's creative consciousness is the natural divine state. We are creative beings, which is a divine state of being. I mean, like to really boil and that, like that's the thing. Like the only reason I am the way I am is because you made a space for me to 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 be, have my creativity cultivated, and it still was fucking traumatic. Uh, and you know, not from you, just from culture, well, society. To put, a, to put a period on your question to me. All of this led me to the realization as we tried to encourage you, your mother and myself, both being creatives and your siblings to, to follow your dreams. I saw watching you guys struggle because it ain't easy. And I said, what did I do? What have we done? We've encouraged them to go after their dreams. And it's a very difficult go chasing dreams is, t is tough. And then I said, Oh, that's what my parents yeah. were doing. That helped. That brought me back to realize. Oh, yep. they were trying to protect yeah. me. Did I do my children a favor by saying, no, you can do it. You can do anything you dream of. Nope. Yeah, you can, but it's is it going to be really successful? I don't know. We, I believe it will be. I no, believe you it did will the be. right thing. You did the right thing. It doesn't. It's not about success. It's about. It's about. It's a life living a creative life. This is everything Abby's talking about. It's being in that flow state, being in that state of consciousness, being breaking out of the system, not working for other people. But I mean, yeah, you have to still, you know, kind of. You're sort of 
in this world, but not of this world, if you're creative in isolation making, and then you have to integrate it into society to try to work with these like capitalistic systems in place to kind of get your, your art out into the world. But like, I just want to say like, like don't ever regret it. I think I appreciate everything you did and you can't, you can't keep people from suffering. But still, you just, it's just human nature that you want to protect. Yeah. Right. Like Like his grandparents thought they were doing him a big favor uh, by keeping, by stopping him. I think I remember my parents like strapping my sister's arm down. Yeah, man, that's happening. I think they literally what? put a belt. Yeah, yeah. they they put, they pelted her left hand, so slinged it, so she had to use her right. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, it gets that crazy. Yeah, you know she, that that they, you know to go that far to prevent them from doing that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, gang. Pardon the interruption. We'll be back after a quick break from our sponsors. Sorry for the interruption. More Awakened Underground now. I, I, I got a question for Avi, since I think this is at the root of, of uh, having him here. So you're, uh, you, you know, you're a, support, a believer in plant medicines, in um, using them. And I use the wrong word. I don't know what the best word is. Yeah, working with them. Working with them. That's the right word for it. Um, and I've been, I've heard, and I'm an observer. As you know, I'm, I'm in the Matrix. I'm a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> Got a really good-looking wife and a lot of money, and, yeah. and I'm happy. So I don't want to get unplugged. Uh, we made a point of <laughs> that in really the previous show. Uh, I don't want to know the truth oh, if it involves. Oh, now it comes <laughs> out. Come here. Follow um, the white rabbit. But, Follow the white rabbit. <laughs> but I've been told that, like, uh, in, in, when we had the show with uh, with with mom and and shy shy that. Uh, spirituality and uh, ayahuasca and plant medicines can actually physically heal. They said physically yeah. heal. You you believe in plant medicines, but you also use your uh, created technologies yeah. to you, not use plants, but physically uh, fix the body. Where's yeah. the balance between that? Sure. Um, great question. So I think that anything is possible, right? So. Like, you know, you said with, uh, with, with Tanya, you know, she, she, you know, had some incredible both physical and mental benefits from, from, from those sessions. You know, so I, I don't want to say that, um, uh, one is better than the other. I can just say from my own experience that, um, one is more easier to control and precise for fixing certain things. Like, no offense, right? But if some shaman told me like, hey, I can fix your shoulder pain by you take this, I'd be like, you know, you're full of shit, you know? Like, maybe you can, maybe you can, but you really don't know that you can. You know, you're just rolling the dice. You know what I mean? Like, right, when you come to my targeted. office, like, I know I can fix you, right? Because like, I'm delivering it, like this cosmic stuff r- right right to you. What I can't do is put a, a, a syringe inside your brain, right? So there is massive benefit to to both sides of like what what I do as a doctor is peripheral work you know like I'm not going inside of people's psyche I'm not able to maybe a trauma gets unlocked and reversed by removing some scar tissue but maybe it doesn't you know right. like I think that in general people just need to be more open right to to this to to the non-official narrative and 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 treatment modalities you know and and you know, to your comment about unplugging 
from this amazing matrix, you know. <laughs> no, no, well, listen. You got a pretty good matrix yeah, too, I've seen a, it. I got, I got an awesome one, you know, like, uh, I actually, funny, I, um, uh, Amy was, I was gonna actually do do Bufo with Melissa and Amy was like, well, what if you like lose your mojo? Like, we can't have that happen. Like, you never know. And I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, maybe I don't need to do it right now. <laughs> I'm not saying that would have happened, but, but like, like the instant, like what's, what, what could be interesting for you is right. Rather than fully plug out of the matrix, it's like, well, what happens if I just micro take a little bit? Because the whole concept of microdosing is that you don't feel anything. It's not like you take a smaller amount and you have a smaller trip. You basically take an amount that almost it's like working on the background. It's like in music, it's like a noise gate. Right, you want to gate a channel to remove some of that baseline distortion that's coming, that's maybe making your guitar or your voice signal a little the fidelity to be a little less. I'm not saying that would happen, but that's an analogy I would use. Let's say if you if you want to pique your curiosity a little bit. So, so you're basically saying it's you believe it's a balance between the two. Yeah, I mean that the technology and the plant medicines working together synergistically, synergistically, and even some of the stuff you're injecting is very it's all natural yeah it's so, all natural so um yeah that 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 i'm just not putting words in your mouth but to you that's kind of like the best middle ground yeah look i finding mean finding a balance between the two for sure like let's say somebody comes in with a physical ailment we're not telling them hey look just come here no matter what you're dealing with you know Get, 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 get some work done and go back to living your life without making any changes. Because there's a reason why you're walking through my door. You know, you're not in balance, probably biomechanically, you know, but then there's going to be some mental, you know, spiritual, emotional, whatever. All of these things are connected, right? So I think that, to maybe to rephrase your question, when we're dealing with suffering, particularly of the variety that's chronic or long-lasting, we have to be very aware and with intention, not just try to fix the physical thing, right? But also be aware and open like, well, maybe there's some other stuff that's been a byproduct of this, the fire alarm going off. You know, maybe there was an actual fire. Maybe there's like some smoke damage on the roof. You know you know what I mean? Like, like I was thinking it was interesting that you talked about the from your pain and your discomfort radiating outward and affecting the people yeah. around you. It's not just within your no, own body, no. your own self. It's how is it affecting your loved ones and the people you work with and the people you, you interact with throughout the day. It, they're all affected by it. It's, it's, I never thought about that. And this is something so interesting because they've done st studies now and they find that people who meditate, not only are they reducing their stress, they reduce the stress of a, a of people in a certain proximity to them. And the same goes for trauma and pain. I mean... So that's an incredible point, right? And I think what you're getting to at the core, which is so beautiful, is this concept of vibration. Right? 100%. It's so all it's like, frequency and vibration. It's all frequency and vibration. So whatever your state is, that you're, you know, you're vibrating. It's like a guitar string, you know? High E string, really high, really high tone, right? Really high pitch. Right. Way tighter tension, mm -hmm. you know? The low E string, the exact opposite, you know? So like... What is your tone? You know, like what what is that resting tone? Meditation brings that tone, that tension decreases it, right? And to kind of circle back to something we were talking about earlier, um, like you know, being of Indian heritage, this beautiful mystical tradition of of meditation and, and, and yoga, right? I feel that's like a natural way to biohack, yeah, right, hundred percent. And maybe if you were a rishi and you went off into the caves 
and meditated for 10 years, whatever, some amount of time, you would have some, you could profoundly change your biology, right? Um, I believe that, you know, being a monk in today's society isn't that great of an accomplishment. Like, it's not hard to get peace in the mountains and the Himalayas when there's nothing around you. Right, you know? right. To achieve that same level of clarity in L.A., is that's a whole different animal, you right. know? So most people don't have the uh, life situation to kind of check out, run away, whatever, disconnect, and just retreat somewhere that's super serene. It's rather like, how do you equip yourself to make wherever you are transform it into, you know? That's so interesting because um, Cody's um, turned me on to meditation. I'm up to 10 minutes. Nice, Dad. I'm trying. <laughs> But uh, boy. Uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting there. But you said <laughs> dad. you said that you uh, you often med try to meditate on a subway or in in public, so to teach your mind to turn off when it's noisy. You know, you said you're not always in the perfect environment, and you've got to be able to center yourself and meditate even in when it's pandemonium. Right. I try to practice like non-reaction to be right, like unflinching. That's exactly what he's saying. You know, it's easy to do it up in the Himalayas. Not so easy in downtown LA. Look, first off, this conversation is so dope. You guys are so <laughs> rad. Real quick before we go, I would like to simulate in these last five, 10 minutes, I want to simulate, you know, psychedelics and plant medicines are not illegal, but they are being decriminalized, right? Yeah. Uh, and one day you will be able to go to your doctor, like Dr. G right here, and you'll be able to say, hey, like I have this problem, this problem, this problem. And is there per perhaps a benefit to taking a plant medicine? Dad, is there anything in particular outside of your shoulder that you experience where you'd be curious if if Dr. Abi could comment on? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, this is something I tell you. Uh, George Carlin had a great quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, the goal in life is not to cross the finish line clean and perfectly intact without a, not a spot or a nick on you. You should slide into the finish line battered, bruised and broken because you did something. You lived. We're not here to go go through life unscathed. So I've got my, you know, I've got my scars and I've got my my injuries. And we've talked about my shoulders and limited range of motion. And, you know, as I get, uh, you know, as I get older, I become fearful of memory loss, really. You know, mm. And it's, it's a funny thing because I know and my wife, I wonder if my wife will remember, I made my wife and her brother, her brother, Vinny, swear they tell people when I was older, I always forgot everything. <laughs> and uh, that was always my 20s or 30s. So, so, but near, but now when you're in your 60s, you start, doubt starts setting in and you try to fight it. You go, that, you know, you, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give into that, but those kind of things, you start worrying about those ailments and sleeping and stress right. and all those kind of things, you know, yeah, I'm dealing with different problems like that as well. Yeah. It's like unpeeling that onion, you know, like right. trying to untwist these tangles and then, you know, like your dad and I have long hair. It's like, you know, if it gets tangled, right, you got to comb that shit out. Right. right? And then, and do you think, um, do you think like some, working with something like psilocybin on a microdose or a macrodose could help some, with sleep issues, memory loss, look, or anxiety? I, mean, I think that if you're having any kind of issue like that, the first thing you should probably, because you, your dad's really fit. He like the first thing I would say is, he's, do a, you he's a beacon. But do you exercise? That's the first thing you ask somebody who has these issues. Like, are you moving your body right? Because if they're not doing that, that's like step one. You know, how are you eating okay? You know, like if you're doing all these right things, then the next thing to look at, yeah, I would suggest is looking at you know microdosing 
a very small amount and just seeing what happens. If it helps, yeah. 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 You know? Right. Start small. Yeah, because oh. there's there, there's a saying we have in anesthesiology, right? You can always give the patient a little more, but you can never take well, it from away. this conversation, I'm going to. <laughs> Seriously. I love it. I mean, I just realized, I said, well, well stress, that's that's emotional, mental. Yeah. Sleeping, that's got to be emotional, mental. It's not, it's not pain keeping me awake. You know, am, am I becoming forgetful? Am I, that's mental. That's, so, well, it's, it's all mental. I don't think your needle and your- I can't uh, get there. Yeah, it's going to work. That's paperwork it. we don't want to file. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's, that's too, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, look, uh, I have found tremendous benefit in my own life, right? And I can only speak from what I've experienced and, and empathically say that since we're all the same, you know, same, like that uh, saying in Thailand, right? Same, same, but different. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth a try. The risk-benefit ratio is is heavily skewed in your favor. Right, non-toxic, non-addictive. Yeah. It's only that it's yeah. illicit. So you have to find a, a legal yeah. place to work with this. All right, we'll regroup in a month. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you both so much, Doctor yeah. Gotham. You're amazing, man. No, thank yeah, thank you guys. Love thank, you both, Dad. Me. You're you're the coolest. Thank you for supporting this. Yeah, I'm D. He's the Cody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Nice. It was actually all planned. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> Imagine when I'm gone, he'll become the D. This <laughs> <laughs> loses the co. That's all right. I like that. <laughs>What's up, gang? Thank you for hanging with us for so long. So the interview you just heard was actually recorded two months ago. And since then, my dad has agreed to experiment with a microdose formula of psilocybin mushrooms. Every other day, he's been taking 100 to 200 milligrams of psilocybin mushrooms with the intention of improving his anxiety and his memory loss. He's out of the country, so the quality is not going to be very good, but we're going to check in on him, see how he's doing, how he's feeling, and if these psychedelic medicines have been able to help him with the maladies he's been experiencing. Hey, hey Dad, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Cody. Uh, we're in Sicily. Uh, really enjoying our lives about to embark on a week-long motorcycle tour of the coastline of Sicily, which is kind of a dream come true. I appreciate you hopping on with me real quick. I just wanted to connect real quick with you because we're about to release our last episode and I wanted to find out how you're... Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Proud of your show, but also the reaction it's had is great. Thanks, man. It's been it's been our show and would not be it would not be the same without you. And I mean, that's what I wanted to kind of come in after you know, having you come in and talk to Abby and coming on the first episode, we've had you on a microdose regimen for a couple months. Just want to find out how are you feeling? How has it been? Uh, could you give us just sort of like a, a, a report uh, to kind of share with everyone? Absolutely. Um, I know what I had expressed to you that I had been feeling, I can't even explain it, that I was just not feeling right for several months. And it was, uh, a heightened anxiety level. Suzette, I mean, maybe you guys noticed as well, but I was dealing with um, a higher level of forgetfulness and just generally just un- just not feeling myself and not feeling good in general, not pain in pain or suffering anyway, but just not feeling right. And this went on for months. And, you know, I'm not um, an active participant in the medicines that you guys are involved with, 
But after, you know, after just dealing with this for several months with no real answers. And by the way, you know, I went to doctors and had things checked out just to see if maybe there was something wrong with my heart. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s now and, you know, whatever. And I was checked out 100 percent fine. It really was a malaise, for lack of a better word. And you guys suggested, you and Tanya suggested, and and mom, and pretty much everybody in the family, that I try <laughs> microdosing mushrooms. And of course, I had my, you know, knee jerk, uh, defensive uh, reaction to the idea of taking uh, some sort of a hallucinogen. Um, and you guys assured me that I would not experience any of that. And, you know, I've been monitoring you guys for years now. So I trusted you guys when you said that, no, you won't feel that. You won't have any kind of uh, high from it. This will be something that works in the background and affects you. So I started on a regimen recommended uh, by you and by Tanya. Uh, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, take a little capsule, took away my regular vitamins. Uh, you guys told me, you know, my mom said, what do you make sure you, you say, say your intentions, which is very simple. I want to feel normal. Um, so here I'm taking a medicine plant to feel normal mushrooms, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, psychedelics to take feel normal, which goes completely against the way I was raised, the way I was perceived. But I felt nothing as far as as far as any kind of change in in mental state, as far as feeling high or feeling out of it or feeling cloudy or stoned, any of the things that I would have connected to the idea of taking mushrooms. So that was the first thing I noticed. Okay. I mean, I trusted you guys, but this was a big step for me. And, um, you know, and I was not feeling any kind of negative effect from taking it. Cut to, you know, a couple months in, I don't know how long ago, or how many of those things you gave me, but I follow the regiment, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, and I feel better. I feel normal. My anxiety level is, is suppressed. It is, is, you know, I mean, you know, I'm very, I say I'm not anxious, but I've got a lot going on. That's a normal part of a person who's got a, you know, busy schedule, whatever, but it wasn't, I mean, it felt like it was choking me off before. It's only I can describe it. it. felt like it was all the way up here. Like I just couldn't get my breath and it, that is gone. And the general malaise that I was feeling, uh, that's just not feeling right. Not feeling like myself. Remember that's just for months going on months. I was feel, feeling that way. It was very disheartening to me to feel not feel good for months on end and not know why that's gone. And, uh, you know, your mother is the best person to bear witness, but she attests that my, that the memory problems or issues I was having, uh, have lessened and are better. And my memory is noticeably better. Uh, you, you notice yourself when you don't remember things, but there's another level of memory loss where you don't even realize that you're not remembering things. Right. Right. You know, and um, that's the, the kicker is she says that's much better. So um, bravo, mushrooms, and wow. bravo, thank you guys, because I, I, mean, I can't attest anything else after several months of just, and I wasn't happy either because I was feeling this choked off, this, this feeling of 
that I just wasn't feel right. And uh, I feel back to normal. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for it's thank you for trusting us to, you know, experiment with them. I'm glad it's working and I'm happy to hear uh, the memory stuff. I mean, obviously I know that these medicines can help with uh, diseases related to cognitive decline, uh, specifically memory loss, dementia, and Alzheimer's. I'm so happy because now it's a tool in your toolbox. You know, I, now it's something you can reach for if you ever have those symptoms of cognitive decline or anxiety. And it doesn't have to be an always thing. I don't know how much, if you've been taking it for a couple of months, it's good actually for you to actually take a month or two off, actually. That was a question for you. First of all, the trust that I had in you guys was hard fought on your part and earned. You know, watching, observing, I spoke on your first show about the fact that I was not a participant, but I, as an observer, I could not deny the effects I saw and the way it helped people, the way it affected people. And uh, as I also said on the first show, how I, uh, your brother, Jesse, was the first to experiment with that, call with mushrooms, call me up to, to tell me I needed to take them. And uh, I literally blew up at him and I was really upset that he would even suggest that. That was a couple few years ago many years ago, because I remember that was on Long Island. So that's eight years ago, seven years ago now. And, you know, during that time, what I've seen um, got me to a place where I was willing to try it, you know, to, because I was kind of at a loss and I still had a loss of the why, but I guess the why doesn't really matter as long as I'm feeling better. But it brings me, that was going to be my question. You know, how long do I do it? Is this a, a constant? Is this an addition to my normal supplements that I take all the time? Or you just said I should take a couple months off? Yeah, you should, as as advised by the medicine men and women that we work with, uh, many of them are former nurses or doctors who have left sort of like the traditional model of medicine and moved into this sort of space around these psychedelic plant medicines. Uh, they advise that you take off for about a month or two. It's really up to you, but it's okay to take it again. It's not toxic. It's not addictive. It's not going to hurt you. You're taking such a mild dose. It's truly a medicine. And and all I know is, Code, here's the bottom line. I feel great. I feel much better. I'm in Sicily right now, about to embark on a seven-day motorcycle tour. Um, outside, Mount Edna is erupting. We are watching a volcano outside our hotel with lava flowing down a mountain. And, you know, and I feel great. So I say mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Amazing. Amazing. I thank you for trusting me. And I th- thank you for trusting all of us to like experiment. I think you're our, you're our guinea pig. Mom, good job. If you can hear me. You know, I just want to say something for yeah. We're on TV. I'm resting my head on your mom's breast. That's okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the style is, is pretty vulnerable and casual. What's really amazing is that somebody like T, who doesn't want to go in the rabbit hole, is that he takes this with his nightly vitamins. And, you know, it's building his brain. And if you could get the average Joe to take it like a vitamin and view it like a vitamin, that is like the ultimate game, you know, and that's, that's the key because elderly people, I hate to put ourselves in that category, but we are, you know, if you can change the narrative 
to say it's like a vitamin. And I have noticed like a big difference in his memory. And that is like, that's amazing. You know, and if you could change the narrative on, you know, people our age to say, take a mushroom and it will help heal your brain, that that's great. You know, and that's medicine. That's what it is. What this strange woman is saying is true. My memory is, <laughs> my memory is, I'm not sure, who are you? Oh my God. I love you both so much. Uh, I, I'm, th- thank you for thank you for like taking the leap of faith, and I'm but glad Harry, it's helpful. I, I just want to say, if you could open this man's tight, you know, cranium, tight brain to open up to this kind of thing, that's a miracle. And if you could do that to other people listening to this show, you are healing many. And uh, I'm so proud of you. And uh-huh. you know, Thank you. She's going to start crying again. I'm going to cry a lot listening to your show. She's very crying. I do. Well, I mean, Woody, I love you both so much. Thank you for like creating, I don't know, know, give me a life where I can support me. It was one of the best. I'm going to do a little more creating after we get off this show. (laughs) God, I'm glad. Well, I actually have one more, one more, I I have one more question because, you know, like anxiety is, it's good. It's good to help with that. But have you felt like your relationship has been uh, stronger at all? Is it just normal? You know, as, as far as our relationship goes, we've got a really good relationship. They're, they're pretty yeah, it's, it's but, you pretty know, blessed. From, so. from an outside point of view, looking, you know, observing him, his um, he's definitely not as anxiety driven. And uh, there was a, a period, which Cody, you're aware of, that he was very intense and um, agitated. And he's got a lot going on, and he's definitely way chiller. So thank you for that, Cody. That That's the thing. I think when you're like a patriarch of a household, you're taking care of everyone, you have all these jobs, all these things to shuffle, you know, I think it's just, you know, we kind of run. We can tend to run on that fuel. It's almost that adrenalized state that go energy working with the substance on a microdose level and seeing that there's no visible disorientation. Right, right. Yeah. What did that change? Which is, I think you? what people are uh, like myself, are most afraid of. It's going to, you know, make me cloudy. It's going to make me feel stoned. It's going to make me confused, whatever. Yeah. So none of that. Okay. Did you, do you feel like at least some of the, some of the concerns of like, this stuff's going to make me lose my mind. Uh, do you feel like that subsided a little bit in just working with it at a low level and seeing it's virtually? 100%. Like I said, there was, there was zero, you know, there was definitely trepidation taking that first, you know, capsule, you know, again, I, you guys had built, I built trust in you guys. So, um, you know, but, uh, but still, you know, I'm raised with a certain mentality, dude, I remember having something on my wall. Okay. This is on my wall. It was an ad in a newspaper and it said, This what acid will do to your children. And it had a had an outline of a, a child's face. And on the bottom, it had eyes, nose, mouth, and like ears. And it was cut them out. 
and then it told you where to glue them. And one eye was like up here, and then it was like the mouth was over here, and the nose was here, and an eye was here, dude. And I had it hanging on my wall in my room. It was like you know, not that I believed it. It was like this is crazy. This is the government telling you like if you do psychedelics, your babies are going to be deformed and 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 create and monsters, right? You know, this was this was the so. But this was like the program. I mean, this is I'm the generation that was hiding under a desk in case of nuclear attack. Okay, so it was like, all right, we're gonna have an, just in case we get bombed under your desks. Like, yeah, okay, I'm <laughs> safe now because there's a thin piece of metal and wood above my head. Thank God for thank God for for, for our government. Anyway, so so again, finally taking that first, you know, one. I wasn't shaking or anything, but at the same time, I go, all right, well, here it goes. And, you know, you know, how am I going to feel? And, you know, then, oh, okay, I feel fine. And then the subsequent ones, you know, next two days later, nothing. Then it was, okay, cool. Now it's just, like I said, part of my vitamin pill pack on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, uh, yeah, so all that trepidation was gone and all those concerns and fears. And then ultimately realizing I was feeling what I had hoped I would feel better, you know, was, that was my intention. Hope I feel better, you know, and I felt better. So my intention came true. That's so funny. I, do you still have that poster? I want it. No, if- I had it on my wall. If I just remembered it, just talking to you, I said, yeah, there was this thing like you had all, it was like the craziest picture with like eyes where ears were and stuff. It was really messed up. I think, I think the yeah, scare think the, tactics, man, scare tactics. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Like the, the programming is, is, is deep. I say to the other parents who might be watching this, this was a trust hard fought, you know, uh, just talking, realize it was eight years, you know, I mean, it's a, that's eight years since that confrontation with Jesse about when he called me about mushrooms, you know, and, uh, and that's a long time. And so, and I watched and, you know, and got to this point, I say to others watching, don't take so long, take the, say, oh, okay. D took eight years. Let's take it under advisement from him and maybe we'll give it a couple of years and then we'll, we'll dive in because uh, you could be feeling a lot better. This is, a, a, this is an amazing, an amazing medicine. My coming way is there was no danger in it, you know, and taking a small dose and seeing for yourself, how does this affect me? You're not going to see the changes, mind you, the changes took you know, weeks before I noticed that my, the, my, the issues I was having, that the mushrooms were helping me. Amazing. Okay. Well, I love you, Dad. I'll let you uh, get to go hang with mom. <laughs> get to that. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for everything. Give mom my love. I'll okay. talk to you later. That's our show. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Underground podcast. We appreciate your time, attention, and support. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button. The Awaken Underground is a production of Calvary Audio in association with iHeartRadio. The Awaken Underground is created and hosted by Cody Blue, directed by Tanya Dahl, produced by Cody Blue and Jeff Apple, executive produced by Dana Bernetti and Keegan Rosenberger, co-executive produced by Jason Seagraves and Brandon Morgan, and a very special thanks to Daniel DeLoretto, Eric Klein, Alexander Chinisi, Armand Zadie, David Grillo of Thank You Plant Medicine, our team teachers, First Nations people, our ancestors, our families, and these sacred plants. Before you go, we have a special treat as Dr. Abi just released an album called Blessed on Apple Music that is inspired by his work with the psilocybin mushroom. He goes under the moniker Abinov, and we want to share with you one of his tracks right now. We hope you enjoy it.
Thank you.